Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Filmmaker Peter Hutchinson's latest documentary film, The Cure for Hate, bearing witness to Auschwitz, follows Tony McAleer, a former neo-Nazi and Holocaust denier. After spending 15 years in the white supremacist and neo-Nazi movement, starting as a skinhead before rising into the ranks of leadership, McAleer sheds his past life to become a founding member of the anti-hate activist group Life After Hate. The film documents Tony's profoundly personal journey of atonement to Auschwitz and Birkenau, exploring the conditions that allowed for the rise of fascism in the 1930s Europe, shedding a unique light on how men get into and out of violent extremist groups, and serving as a cautionary tale of our time. The film again is called The Cure for Hate, Bearing Witness to Auschwitz, and we're joined today by the director, Peter Hutchinson, as well as the subject, Tony McAleer. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. This is a profoundly moving film for a number of reasons, but the most important element within the film is focusing on you, Tony, Tony McAleer, and your journey and how we get to know where you've come from, where you are, and where I assume you want to be moving forward in your life. How did you and Peter Hutchinson get together? Uh, well, Peter and I got together, let's see, was it about 2016, I think, when I, when I was um, working with Life After Hate and, and uh, doing the work helping people get out of hate groups, we were approached and connected through Dr. Michael Kimmel, uh, who wrote a book called... Uh, uh, healing from hate. And I think he also wrote Angry White Men. Um, I think Peter can describe his, his history much better better than I can. And he had interviewed us for his book, Healing from Hate. And he put us in touch and we started uh, working together over the next uh, couple of years. We went to uh, you know visit the Oak Creek Temple and spent a day there with uh, the, the son of one of the survivors and following us around uh, at, at certain times sort of highlighting the work that uh, that Life After Hate does and, and exploring, um, you know, the issues around masculinity, identity, why why and how young men get in and, and out of hate groups. And it was through that that we developed a, a friendship. And, and Dr. Kimmel um, had wanted to take a group of us, uh, of the founders from Life After Hate, to, to visit Auschwitz. You know, logistic reasons and schedules, it, it never got off the ground. But I found myself having to be be right close to Auschwitz um, for a, a couple of different uh, events. So I thought, well, I'm, if I'm going that close to Auschwitz, I have to go to Auschwitz. And, and I decided to call up Peter and say, hey, I'm going to Auschwitz. You know, do you want to come? What do you think? That's how the, <clears throat> that's how the, the sort of trip, trip got going. Peter, you get the call. And what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? How are we going to do this? Or what's going through your mind? I think my first reaction was I'm 100% in. Tony and I had developed a friendship through the process of making Healing from Hate, which I think he did a very good job of describing. And in in some respects, uh, The Cure for Hate is a companion piece of sorts to Healing from Hate. Um, you can you can find that film on Amazon Prime and watch it for you know watch it for free if you're a member. 
it provides a lot of background for this current film. And as, as Tony mentioned, you know, we, we, we talked about this idea about taking a group of performers to uh, Auschwitz previously. It was just too hard to coordinate. There's too many moving pieces um, and too many personalities. Tony had, and I had talked about it on and off for quite some time. Not, not only, I think, is it a really important piece of Tony's sort of journey of atonement and his commitment to his own growth and work around uh, peace activism, but but it, it also, I knew it was going to be a really, really powerful vehicle for storytelling and, and helping people to understand Tony's story and how, how young men get in and out of hate groups. You know, I knew we, we would also be able to find ways to connect that with um, Holocaust history, the rise of the Third Reich, find ways to to make this living history in a way that will connect could connect to an entirely new generation that for for them, uh, you know, uh, their awareness of the Holocaust is is um, it's much different than, you know, preceding generations. We had we had, you know, parents and grandparents who would who had lived during that era and some of them experienced, you know, uh, being in concentration camps, um, at least, you know, my parents, at least, we, you know, we always heard stories around growing up during World War II around the table. But for kids now, it's a, it's a dim memory. And a, a lot of a lot of millennials, really, they don't even have an awareness of what the Holocaust was, let alone uh, understand um, what happened at Auschwitz. Just for anyone who's listening to our conversation and wants to go, either inspired by what we're saying or for whatever reason, what do you do? How does one go about going to Auschwitz? Yeah, I mean, in short, yes, you can. Um, it's quite easy okay. to go and tour Auschwitz. I mean, I think for a lot of people, there are certainly, you know, um, economic and financial barriers to hopping on a plane and flying to Auschwitz. And um, but access isn't, you know, access, access isn't the difficult part. You know, it's like planning any trip. But I think we were in a unique position because of the work that we were doing that uh, the folks at Auschwitz and the um, Auschwitz Institute of Peace and Reconciliation, they, they helped get us unparalleled access to the camps and the grounds. And um, we were able to film from, they let us in at sunrise. And so we had several hours alone in the camps to film uh, before they let visitors in. And I have to say that in and of itself was one of the most you know, powerful experiences I've ever had in my life. Tony, the, you were you were had a guide, with, as we see in the film, walk with you through much of this. Let's talk about how you got to know her. I mean, just is that the, was it the first time you had met her or let's let's talk. About, and I've forgotten her name. I apologize. Let me. Agnieszka. In terms of getting to know her that the day that you walked around the camp, what was that like for you? I'd say it was almost a little started a little awkward. I mean, here's a woman who's lost family members at, at the camp. Um, I hadn't met her or spoken to her before, so it was it was, it was a little awkward. And but as as we sort of moved through the day, it, it got easier and got into a, a rhythm with each other. And, and I have to say, um, you know, in my mind, she really is the, the star of the show in the sense that she's done a lot of work on herself and, and a lot of work understanding her own pain and, and her own trauma through that. It's quite evident 
uh, and the way she was able to hold space for me was really quite quite profound and she knew when to talk and when to say things to me and when she went to make space for the processing and and that really makes um some some parts of the film that really really makes the film and, and in my mind there's i mean there's a lot of things that make the film but um her her ability to hold that space and i remember it was there was some you know trepidation on her part too i mean i i, I could only imagine you know what was going through through her mind and i remember at the end of the first day you know we we parted ways and you know, we went to our hotel room and and she came back the next day and and um her energy had totally changed on the second day and and she said you know she spoken with her husband about it for several hours that night and she came back with a very different energy the next day and and um because we spent we spent 15 hours together over two days you know we got to know each other other quite well and and you know none of it's scripted um it was all you know raw and you know it's hard to describe the the, the change in energy the next day but it was it was it was quite it was a for for the, that twenty four hours was a was a very profound twenty four hours in my life. She was amazing in it. Thinking back on the film, I have a sense of what you're talking about. Um, I'm sure trepidation would be the word. Did she? Did is a good word to use in terms of not knowing you prior to meeting you there, and knowing I'm sure knowing about your background. And uh, even if she completely accepted what you have become in be still meeting someone who at one point in his life had a completely different perspective and point of view on what had taken place there would have to be kind of a very emotional response right is that a fair way to put it yeah no it, it was deeply emotional for me and I know it was for her as well well it's yeah. it is the soul of the film to watch the two of you interact and also for you to walk through the camp and to to see for yourself and then we you intersperse it peter with the archival footage and the description of a day in the life the life of these prisoners these people who were rounded up and put into auschwitz uh let's talk a little bit if we were just mentioning how for many people auschwitz and the holocaust may seem like just sort of an historical footnote let's talk about what was going on in auschwitz and how that came about now that's a big question peter but what what in terms of just the immediacy of how people came to Auschwitz let's let's yeah that's a that's a really uh, that's a very broad yeah question. um and and you know there's so many different uh so many different ways we could tackle that and dig in but I think for me what is really so profoundly chilling about Auschwitz is the scale of the place. Yeah. It's very clear. And I think this is, this is the value of going and experiencing Auschwitz um, is the scale is mind blowing. You cannot experience Auschwitz without understanding the cold mechanized hate that is behind the construction of those facilities that were, were constructed for the sole purpose of the extermination of the Jews. You know, there's all, there's endless stories about, you know, how the ghettos were created and how they were then cleared and Jews were transported to 
to the camps. Um, and mind you, they weren't just Jews. They were also, you know, gypsies and political dissidents and, and, and gays and, you know, but, um, the thing about Auschwitz is you, you just, you can't escape the scale. And I think it's something that you see Tony return to time and time again in the film. And the film has, the film has a lot of background. It has a lot of details, a lot of, a lot of historical information about the process of, of, of basically um, developing the ghettos, walling, walling the Jews off, controlling, controlling them, then, you know, making decisions after the final solution to move them to the camps. All of that's in the film, and I think we do it in a way that is thorough enough for people without much of an understanding of the Holocaust to really walk away with an appreciation of the process, you know, how this happens, how it happens incrementally, which I think is a very, a very crucial piece of the story. You know, you hear you hear Jews talking about what are seemingly initially small changes in terms of the restriction of rights and activities and their ability to move through society. You see this steamroll into something absolutely horrible. And um, I think it's not it's not a stretch to be able to extrapolate that to certain things that have happened and are happening in the present day around um, the erosion of different sorts of rights, the erosion of democracies um, and the democratic process, uh, certain sort of um, uh, the rise in uh, authoritarian tendencies some places. And I think that's that's another piece of the film that that we really want people to walk away with having an understanding of. Yeah. And in the film, I thought you did a very good job of giving us a sense of the scale. And one of the things that uh, I've always you know, you hear often people who either deny the Holocaust or minimize it when they talk about the accountability of not only the people involved in the actual system of killing the people that they killed, it's that the other people had no idea. And I can't imagine, Tony, being in something of that scale and try to extrapolate that argument as making any sense at all. The people, well, we had no idea what was going on. A lot of, you know, these were kind of tropes that you would hear for years and years that we had no idea that this was going on. And that's one of the things that in my travels of finding out more and more about what happened in in the Holocaust, it's impossible to believe that. Absolutely. And I I was um, at a wedding in Budapest before going to Auschwitz and and we spent time in the film in, in Krakow. And when you see, you know, the, the remnants of Jewish life, when you see the remnants of a, of, of a once thriving culture and civilization, and yet today there, there's only remnant remnants. There's no, there's no, not really any number of Jews to speak of and, and no thriving culture anymore. When you see not just what happened at the, at the camps, but the, the, the cities and towns emptied of Jews that are still empty today, then you, it, it takes the scale beyond the camps. And when you start to think about the logistical effort required to transport Jews from France, from Holland, from Hungary, from all over Eastern Europe to these killing centers, the sheer scale and enormity of the, of the logistical operation is mind blowing. Like you can't, you can't wrap your brain around it. Yeah. And, 
And for it to happen at all, and you know, one of the things Holocaust and I say is, well, there was no written plan. Nobody can produce a document that you know there was a plan. There's no way that that could happen without a plan. It's it's too it's too large and organized. Yeah. One of the most horrifying stories I heard when I was there, uh, which really stuck with me, was um, you often hear of even the locals, you know, within a few kilometers of, of Auschwitz claiming that they had no idea what was happening in the camps. But one woman described the smell of burning flesh that would waft over the town periodically. And when they do, they've done all of these different soil and water tests and, you know, they found, you know, human the ashes of these human remains, there's, there's still, it's still in the soil, it's still in the water. From my perspective, it makes it very difficult to believe that they weren't aware of what was happening. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't want to think about it. Maybe they didn't want to really be aware of it. But uh, the, there's plenty of evidence there. I just want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Peter Hutchinson and uh, the director of the film, The Cure for Hate, Bearing Witness to Auschwitz, as well as the subject, Tony McAleer, and how the reason that's so important for me to talk about, to hear you guys talk about it, and that is 30 years before this happened, was considered to be one of the high points of Western civilization, the thinkers, the scientists, the people who were, came out of, of German society in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Einstein, Freud, there's so many. This was considered to be kind of, in so many ways, just a, a remarkably developed Western civilization. And within 30 years, it became an industrial killing operation on a massive scale. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. And yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I'm, I'm glad that comes across in the film for you. Um, that was certainly the intention. Germany in the wake of World War One was um, it was a country uh, struggling with massive unemployment, massive inflation, reeling from the loss of al almost an entire generation of fathers yeah. in World War One. It was a country adrift, um, full of shame, um, and dealing with trauma from the loss of World War One and, and what that meant in terms of the national identity. And, you know, as we've seen time and time again, it's much easier to find external reasons for the quandary that you're in as a society than to look within to find solutions. Right. And that's when scapegoating and otherness and uh, intolerance starts to uh, starts to enter the equation. You know, yeah. and, and we've we've certainly seen our fair share of that um, in recent history as well. Tony, where are you at? What are you What are you doing now? How How have you continued to do the work that you have been a part of for these many years? So, I mean, so my my journey has sort sort of taken three steps. The first first step was uh, you know working on healing myself after leaving the movement, and we cover a bit of that in the film. The second step is is helping others who are where I once was. And that's the almost decade I spent at Life After Hate. And, and that sort of work is is highlighted in 
um, healing from hate. This next step for me is is going back to the communities that I'd once harmed and healing and reconciliation and doing the work of repair. And um, I've done it with the, the gay community, the East Indian community in Vancouver, um, the Jewish community. The next step for me is is the black community. And that's the next level of my journey is definitely in that direction. Well, keep up the good work, Peter Hutchinson, as well as you award-winning uh, filmmaker. You continue to work in the field of reconciliation in your, your work. Um, also, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, you you were responsible for a requiem for uh, for the American dream, Noam Chomsky, and the principles of concentration of wealth and power. But you continue to work in in this realm of of trauma. I, I, I believe you're a counseling psychology. You hold an MS in counseling psychology. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it's it's part of my background, and it's it's a piece of what certainly informs my filmmaking. Well, congratulations to both of you for your work. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We've been speaking with the director of the film, The Cure for Hate, bearing witness to Auschwitz with Peter Hutchinson, as well as the subject of the film, Tony McAleer. To both of you, thank you so very much for being here today. Thanks for having us, Mike. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.